The Victorian era contains some of the most dazzling and darkest moments of English history. But who was the monarch behind that glorious name? Queen Victoria led a nation for longer than anyone before her, and it was a reign full of personal scandal, tragedy, and heartache. And also low-key British imperialism, like a lot of it. High-key British imperialism, I'd say. <sighs> we'll get into that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Yesterday's News, a podcast brought to you by Factinate.com. I am Veronica. I'm Dancy. And this series has one goal, to make history fun, but to also uh, recognize its role in systems of oppression. Because it turns out that when you take away the old words and the fancy titles, anyone who made history was probably a bit of a hot mess. This week, to conclude our series on our favorite queens in history, we're telling you about Queen Victoria, the granddaddy of the queens the famous Widow of Windsor. She gets a deservedly bum rap in some ways. Yeah, well, certainly the imperialist system that she helped propagate, which was never more powerful than in her reign, quite likely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, definitely down for that bad rap. But it's more that she almost doesn't have a reputation. She's a kind of flattened image of what the Victorian era was. Uptight, prim and proper, boring, mm-hmm. stodgy. We project a lot of our assumptions about that culture onto her um, as one person. Yeah, when actually Queen Victoria had an insane personal life. Like the drama never stopped. And she herself was so much different personally than I think she is seen in our, in our culture today. It's so fascinating to kind of dig through her history and be like, whoa, this is not what I thought. And this isn't what I thought. Yeah, like she never said we are not amused. Yes. That's a fake quote. She actually liked joking around with her Yeah, servants. she was quite boisterous and had a sort of loud laugh and loved to be funny and to, to be amused. <laughs> she loved <laughs> to be amused. <laughs> and she was a freak in the sheets. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. This is not your mama's Queen Victoria. Mm-mm. You're going to want to brew a big pot of tea for this one. And let's dive in. Let's do it. So uh, Queen Victoria was born in 1819. She was never, I think it's safe to say, assumed to take the reins. She was fifth in line for the throne, which is kind of equivalent to Prince Harry just knocking through Prince Philip, his dad, his brother, (laughs) and just ascending to the throne. (laughs) Sorry. Prince Philip's his grandfather, and he's just so fucking old that the idea of... Prince Harry knocking down his very frail grandfather did make me laugh, I have to say. (laughs) Well, imagine that. Imagine tiny baby Victoria shanking all her relatives. (laughs) Hello, it's Veronica from the future. In the time between us recording this episode and releasing it, Prince Philip really did die. So RIP to you, sir. And this is how she gets from underdog to Queen of England, not literally killing them, but death, just like a ton of death. Her three cousins die, her grandpa dies, her dad dies. She's like 11 years old. Everyone she loves is dead, but she's next in line for the throne. So silver lining. Yeah, I just imagine (laughs) just the haunted look in her like nine-year-old face. (laughs) I've seen some shit, guys. I've seen some shit. Oh, yeah, she's traumatized already. And there's more to come. So her mom, what a piece of work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Her mother was an absolute stage mom, momager, mommy dearest, all of those things. She had this 
deranged program that she called the Kensington system that she made her daughter go through. You know when you have your own system for child rearing that you're maybe a little bit much. A little too controlling? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so she effectively founded her own trademarked school to make sure that Victoria never had any friends (laughs) and just bent to her will completely. But in all seriousness, the Kensington system absolutely isolated Victoria from her peers, made her feel like she couldn't trust many people, gave her so many many mommy issues. And like, hell yeah, it would. This kid was treated like a show pony. She was Mm -hmm. forced to go on tours of England. She got incredibly ill on one of these tours. And her mom was just like, smile through the pain and pushing her onto the stage to go perform. (laughs) Yeah. Toddlers and tiaras, but Victorian edition. I'm not going to get on your case. It is not worth my energy. You are not worth my energy. Okay, so if you, like me and Dancy, are not into Victoria's mom, not into that lady, Mm -mm. well, guess what? Join the team, and we actually have another, the treasurer of the anti-Victoria's mom squad. It's uh, Victoria's uncle, her mom's brother-in-law. He's the king of England at this time, King William IV. He was a party boy, and he and his sister-in-law for sure did not see eye to eye. Yeah. Oh, man, he hated Victoria's mom so much. (laughs) He got out in public and he was like, she sucks. I will literally will myself to stay alive so that she can never take the throne. I will force my heart to keep beating until Victoria turns 18. And this guy fucking does it. You know what this reminds me of? I hate to drop another ever after quote on you, but there's a line where the prince gets into a fight with his father and he's saying he's going to punish him. And the prince goes, what's it to be, father? The hot iron or the rack? And then the king goes, I shall simply deny the crown and live forever. <laughs> I'm Here's how this man's petty mission plays out. He wills himself to stay alive until Victoria turns 18. And then he's like, okay, bets are off. I can relax. So he has one final month of life because he enjoys himself. And then he croaks. And then Victoria takes the throne. (laughs) Mission accomplished. One month. I love this. He is truly just making himself stay alive by sheer bitterness and pettiness. And then a month after she comes of age, he's done. This man's food pyramid is just spite, pettiness, Mm -hmm. bitterness. Mm -hmm. This is what sustains him. (laughs) Oh, and these traits run in the family, my friends. When Queen Victoria, our girl, takes the throne, one of her first acts was banishing this guy named John Conroy from her presence. It's certainly a heck of a way to kickstart your reign with a personal vendetta. And let's buckle up and I'll tell you about why this was one of the first things she did. So John Conroy is at the heart of a huge scandal from Victoria's childhood. He was her mom's advisor which I think we all know means secret boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Victoria for sure hated him. And she had a lot of good reasons for doing that. So, you know, the Kensington system that made her life miserable? Well, guess who co-founded it? John Conroy. Johnny boy. And Victoria came to think that if he hadn't been around urging her mother to do this, A, her and her mom would have had a much better relationship. B, her childhood would have been less miserable. And also, 
Victoria's like, okay, mom, if you're going to have a secret boyfriend, you might as well get one who doesn't cheat on you all the time. And I low-key think that John Conroy is stooping one of your ladies in waiting. And I also think that he got her pregnant. What? Victorian court, man, not dry and dusty, you guys. This becomes an absolutely enormous scandal, and it hits such a fever pitch that this poor lady-in-waiting, who's just a helpless pawn in this whole thing, she actually is like, okay, I'll get a medical exam. I really don't think I'm pregnant. (laughs) And the doctor is like, oh, yeah, this girl ain't pregnant. This girl ain't never even had sex. (laughs) No. So Victoria just spent all of her energy pumping up this rumor, and it was completely baseless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, she just runs this poor woman's name through the mud. Her personal vendetta oh. is going poorly, I think we can agree. And things get so much worse. So the poor woman that Victoria has just destroyed her whole life and reputation, she dies shortly after this. What? And it turns out that the reason Victoria thought she was pregnant, the reason her stomach was swelling, wasn't because she was carrying a baby. It was because she had terminal cancer and her tumor was in her abdomen. Oh, my God. So... (laughs) Vicky, you got this one real wrong. What I like most about this is that even after all this, Victoria's like, well, fuck it. I still don't think I was fully wrong. John Conroy's still an asshole if you didn't knock up that girl. <laughs> so I'm still banishing him from my court. <laughs> she doesn't. <laughs> to be fair, I think it may be slightly even better. She banished him before that scandal. So he was already out of her life. And then she was still like, <laughs> I gotta get him. He's, he yeah. hasn't suffered enough. <laughs> I gotta pin this on him. Yeah. Like, girl, he doesn't even go here anymore. (laughs) She doesn't even go here. The other important thing from this time in Victoria's life is that at 16, you know what we got to do. We got to get this girl married. Victoria has two options for suitors, but she immediately is like, this one, this one, this one. She is obsessed with the hunky Prince Albert from Belgium. He becomes her eventual husband, and she is thirsty for him. And this is one of those things that history has got right, mm-hmm. right? Like everyone knows Victoria and Albert, she was obsessed with him. She was Guys, so like, obsessed. She was so obsessed with him. But maybe even more than you might think. We will get to that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So just know that at 16, Victoria meets Prince Albert and she's like, him, mom, I want him. And mm-hmm. she maintains that level of thirst for the rest of her life. So now Victoria's got this romantic prospect. She's become queen. She's still not yet married to Albert. And this is actually a bit of a problem because the beginning of Victoria's reign was really awkward, mostly due to the fact that she was a single woman, an unmarried woman. Scandal! England really wasn't used to having a queen regnant and especially an unmarried one. So it Mm -hmm. was this weird thing where everyone in court expected Victoria to still live with her mother, the one who'd been controlling her entire life. They're like, yeah, but it's pretty scandalous (laughs) that you want to live alone. Like, I know that you're queen of England, but you still got to live with your mom. Victoria's solution to this is amazing. She's like, fine, I'll let my mom live with me. She can live in Buckingham Palace, but I'm going to give her apartments that are the furthest away from me as can possibly go. That's smart. (laughs) And I just want to note here that around this time, one of her ministers was like, well, you know, you could avoid this whole situation if you just married Albert. And she called it a shocking alternative. She's like, I don't want to marry him yet. Like, I'm still too young. So even though she was head over heels with him, she was still like, just chill. I'll deal with my mom. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'll deal with my boyfriend. Just let me do it my way, you know? That's a really strikingly modern perspective on this thing to mm-hmm. want to hold on to this single lady phase of her life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is really surprising to me. Okay, Victoria, you do you. And in October 1839, Prince Albert comes back into the picture and Victoria just continues this badass streak and completely takes the reins on the whole situation. She is a girl who knows what she wants. First of all, she proposes to Albert. Love that. Amazing. Very modern. And of course, they get married. Victoria popularizes the white wedding dress. She's she's often attributed to be the person who created the idea of a white wedding dress. But she wasn't. People People did it elsewhere and before her, but she was one of the main reasons that it became a popular option and now basically one of the only options. I like that the show has so many of these fashion moments. (laughs) I know. And on the day of their wedding, Victoria couldn't be happier, uh, particularly their wedding night. Wow, chicka, wow, wow. I love this. She writes in her diary about their wedding night, and several of these words are in capitals. I never spent such an evening. My dearest, dearest, dear Albert. <laughs> That's what she wrote about it. So the satisfied lady. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And wouldn't you know it, it must have been a very good wedding night because just a few weeks later, weeks, Victoria finds out she's pregnant. When you bang that hard, a baby's going to pop out. (laughs) (laughs) It It just shoots right up to the uterus. However, Victoria's reaction to this news that she's pregnant, not what I think you might be expecting. Victoria didn't like motherhood. In fact, she downright hated it. She hated pregnancy. She actually wrote to her grandmother about this first pregnancy that that happened so quickly. Quote, it is spoiling my happiness. I have always hated the idea. And I prayed God night and day for me to be left free for at least six months. So she's like, I wanted to bang (laughs) Albert without consequences for half a year. Why did I get pregnant right away? Why has the Lord struck me down? Why has he smote me? (laughs) She also hated child rearing. She didn't like it at all. And that's despite, or let's be real, because of the fact that she had nine children with Albert. Man, I'd be tired of child rearing if I had nine children too, girl. Yeah, even if I had all the nannies that she did. That's that's tough. And she thought babies were ugly. She just like didn't like them, which I mean, I sometimes see, Vix. She hated breastfeeding, just really didn't enjoy any part of it. Relatedly, Victoria actually famously used chloroform to give birth to her last two children. Yeah, And this was a really, really new thing at the time. Like The church was actually super against her doing it and super against women in general doing it because they thought it was a woman's duty to suffer. Fuck off. And Victoria was like, uh, no, I'm, I'm getting the drugs. <laughs> Thank you. I've suffered seven times. I'm gonna just take this pass for the last yes. two, yeah. you guys. Clearly, I'm going by the church's teachings to not use contraception. <laughs> so like, just give me this one, okay? <laughs> yeah. Now, there is a tragic or sad, anyway, underpinning to Victoria's modern take on childbirth and children. She mm. got horrific postpartum depression. And something that really exacerbated it was that good old Prince Albert was pretty bad at dealing with this 
depression. Their marriage was obviously a positive, healthy one overall, but they already clashed a lot on just the fact that she was a queen. She was basically his boss, but she was also his wife. But like the crown season one. Yeah, they had a lot of power tension sometimes between that. So when it came to her postpartum issues, Albert really sneered over her various crying jags. He called one of the things she was getting upset about a miserable trifle in a letter. Just not very understanding. And yeah, the Victorian era didn't understand postpartum depression or depression in general, but just not getting a whole lot of help on the home front. So every time she got pregnant, I'm sure she felt the onset of those emotions as well with them. Can't blame her for dreading pregnancy when you have horrendous postpartum depression. Very understandable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now... (laughs) Just to end this sort of facet of her, I do want to say that she frequently talked about how she loved Albert more than her children. <laughs> like that lady on Oprah and everyone got so mad at her 10 years ago. Do you remember this? I know. This is what I love about her. She's like, I'm an honest mommy. <laughs> I don't like my kids as much as my husband. And I think she often told her friends. She would kind of tell her children the same thing. She was just like, no, I, I'm sorry. Albert bangs me. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, she actually especially disliked her oldest son and heir, Bertie. I love all my children equally. I don't care for Joe. So I think Dancy has set the scene really beautifully for like, hmm, not your mama's Queen Victoria. There's more going on here. Yes, yes. And I'm here to dial it up. This is gonna be great. Let's break down that fusty dusty image. So Victoria weathered assassination attempts plural. She didn't just weather them. She survived them. Six different assassination attempts. So many of them. So when she was pregnant, a mentally ill teen shot at her twice. This is the first time and she's unharmed, thankfully. But like also, even from this point, she's like, whatever. (laughs) It just completely glances off her. My favorite assassination attempt story saw this guy walk up to Queen Victoria, whip out a gun and pull the trigger only for the gun to fail and not discharge. So the guy runs away. But Victoria, instead of being like, whew, really got out of that one. Thank God, not going to go on that walk again. She's like, Mm-mm, no, James Bond time. She goes home, rests up, and then it's game time the next day. She takes herself to the exact same place where she was walking at the exact same time, brings a huge entourage to make sure that if the guy's there, he'll know, oh, she's back. And so he is. And when he inevitably is like, oh, my God, I get a do-over. Nothing suspicious about this. <laughs> she dodges his bullet and has him arrested. Mm-hmm. Damn, Victoria, some Jason Bourne shit. So badass. <laughs> and I love this, that, like, Albert's out there being like, mm, you cry over miserable trifles. And it's like, dude, this woman has survived six attempts on her life. Like, whatever she's crying about probably matters. That's exactly right. Here's my second, going to try to win you over to Victoria more than a fusty lady, hemophilia. Do you guys know what this is? It's a disease that makes it hard for your blood to clot. It ran in the royal family. This has kind of become a famous thing. So famous that there's a Doctor Who episode about it, meaning that the royal family are secretly werewolves. I'm not making that up. That's a real thing. It's a great episode. So it got passed down to Victoria's son, Leopold, and he died at 30 because of it. And this is really sad, obviously. But it's also spicy because you see, Queen Victoria is actually the very first 
royal person to have hemophilia. Yeah, like she's like patient zero. The really intense thing about it is she did have so many children and they all made advantageous marriages. So it basically just spread over all the European families. Like she's the direct line for Alexei Romanov, who had hemophilia, who Rasputin treated, who caused, well, who partly caused the Russian Revolution. Like you can trace that back to Victoria because his mother is her granddaughter. Well, shit. Yeah. So I guess we should be asking ourselves, well, how did Victoria get hemophilia? Like it's a disease that literally changed the course of history. How'd she get it? And the general thinking is, well, if it ran in the royal family, she got it from one of her ancestors. But the weird thing is that her mom and dad did not have it, and they did not have relatives with it. Mm -hmm. So how Mm -hmm. did she get it? And this is where we have a truly phenomenal historical rumor. Some people believe that Queen Victoria was a love child. And that her dad might have been John Conroy and his family might have had hemophilia. Oh my gosh. Like, I'm here for this reading, obviously. At this point, I feel like you know me enough to know that I'm a messy bitch who loves drama. But sadly, this is probably not the case. (sighs) Hemophilia can just be like a random mutation if your parents are mad dusty old. And Queen (laughs) Victoria's dad was over 50 when he had her. So (laughs) over 50 is mad dusty old. (laughs) Yeah, no disrespect to our 50 plus listeners. I'm sorry. Take it back. Please love me. Think of me as your like charming irreverent niece. (laughs) Okay. And okay, joking over. This is a really actually bad part of her legacy that we have to talk about. Yeah, now we reach the like truly truly shit part about Victoria. And you guys all saw this coming. She had a chilling and horrific role in British imperialism. She was the figurehead of the British Empire. And it was under her reign that England was aggressively stealing land in Africa and India. They were taking Zulu land. They were taking Indian land, Egyptian land, Sudanese land, Kenyan land, Ugandan land. They were setting up these outposts that were brutally suppressing these indigenous populations. And these populations were rebelling all over the place. They're like, um, hi, we're good. We didn't ask for this. We don't want you here. This reminds me of a a tweet, like a meme I saw recently where someone tweeted out, I hate when people ask me, like, man, what did the Europeans ever do to you? Like, why do you hate them? And the response is, well, I'm here speaking English, aren't I? Yep. Yep. Enough said. There's no comeback to that. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that really gets to this, too. There was lots of literal violence and bloodshed as the British shut down these rebellions and these mutinies against their uninvited presence. But there was also lots of destroying cultures. And of course, it's all under this banner of hegemony, right? Where it's um, a very this very Rudyard Kipling-esque approach. White man's burden. Mm-hmm. It's our duty mm-hmm. to civilize these mm-hmm. unwashed masses. This really horrific white supremacy in action. And Queen Victoria was absolutely instrumental to building the British Empire. You cannot overstate the size of this empire. At the time, it was the biggest empire in the history of the world. Really horrific stuff. On a person-to-person level, like, you know, that movie Victoria and Abdul, people are trying to pitch her as, like, a beloved aunt. No offense to anyone who loves that movie, but 
Ugh. It's pretty cringy. But systemically, you can't ignore that she was the figurehead of the empire, and under her rule, there were massacres. There was an infamous mutiny in India where Britain participated in a bloodbath that killed women and children, anyone who defied Britain in the East India Company. And of course, there was the scramble for Africa where Victoria and all of Britain were so gung-ho about getting into the continent, claiming that land and all those resources for themselves by any means necessary. And we just couldn't do an episode on Victoria and not tell you that because it's so central to her and her power. Hello, it's future Veronica. I am back. We missed an important part of this topic, so I'm here to tell you that Canada was also a British colony. The British brutally suppressed and colonized indigenous peoples in the land we now call Canada. Residential schools were a major part of this. Residential schools were places where children were re-educated to assimilate into this idea of Canada as a British colony. And these were not actually schools. They were places where children were abused sexually and physically, where diseases ran rampant because the government didn't truly care about these children at all. And as you've probably heard in the news, in Canada, there have been multiple mass graves recently discovered near old residential school sites. This is a really shameful part of Canadian history, and it all happened under Queen Victoria's reign. If you would like to learn more about the residential school system in Canada, I have included links in the episode description because this is just a very brief rundown of a complex topic. But for now, back to the episode. Uh, Yeah, as you're, I think, really making clear there, it is central to her identity, to her personal identity. Her role as a figurehead of the British Empire and its actions does go toward who she was as a person as well. Yeah, it's all of a piece with her, and we weren't going to pretend it didn't happen. So... Yes, Victoria has this salacious dark side, the the kind of enjoyable, gossipy dark side. And then she's got this truly chilling, systemic dark side. For better or for worse, some karma comes back into her life for that. Doesn't ever. In 1861, Prince Albert, her great love dies at the premature age of 42, um, likely from some complications of Crohn's disease, but we still don't really know. And this infamously devastates Victoria. Most people don't really know the grimmest details about this. So let me just go through the aftermath of, of Albert dying. Obviously, she becomes the widow of Windsor, her famous moniker, Fuck me, I love alliteration. It's so good. She also just sounds like a badass ghost, you know? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Tailor-made for the afterlife! (laughs) Um, And so Victoria starts dressing exclusively in black. She also completely or nearly completely retreats from public duties, which her people do notice, by the way. They are like, she's not doing anything anymore. Some of the freakier details, though, she keeps Albert's room prepared, including having her servants set out a fresh bowl of shaving water every day and a change of clothes on his bed just in case he comes back from the afterlife. Because spiritualism was becoming a thing, was a thing at that point. So she's like, maybe, maybe his ghost will come back and I gotta make sure he shaves. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say like, it presupposes that his ghost will be both naked and bearded, which is hot. Yeah, naked. <laughs> like, is this a sex fantasy masquerading as 
has like an obsession with the I do love her her kind of thought process in this. It's like, well, of course he'll need to, to shave his, his gnarly beard that he's going to grow in his grave and uh, his clothes will be dirty. <laughs> so that's kind of the spiritual freaky quality. But then there's some real workaday awfulness that happens. Victoria blames Albert's death almost entirely on her son, Bertie. Again, her hated son. I don't care for Joe. He'd, he'd basically been uh, stressing her and Albert out by taking an actress as a mistress. And Victoria thought that Albert kind of succumbed to some of that stress in some ways. She literally never forgave Bertie. She barred him from power, even though he was her heir until the day she died, and then he became king. But she was just like, nope, you're dead to me. All because he, like, fell in love with a woman who wasn't yeah, rich? Yeah, exactly. Victoria, she just honey, needed someone to blame, on. right? And uh, Bertie got it. Also, mm-hmm. well, to be fair, Bertie sucked too. That's a story for another day. But he had his, he had his own issues. <laughs> she also, and this is maybe my favorite thing for many reasons that, again, I'll get to. Victoria requested to be buried in her wedding dress so she could meet Albert in the afterlife as his wife, you know, as the the day that they first married, which is... Kinky. uh, Yeah, it's incredible. But there is a twist to this, and I freaking love this. I am obsessed with this. Maybe of all the stories we've gone through here. Of all the mini dancey obsessions that have peppered this episode, this one might be the strongest. Yes, so I've saved the best for last year. So yes, Victoria loved Prince Albert with an eerie devotion, but he likely wasn't her last love. She grew very close to her Scottish manservant named John Brown. People obviously noticed this to the point that they claimed they had a secret marriage and people called her Mrs. Brown kind of colloquially. And that's, you know, that's the rumor mill. Who knows? But there's more. When John Brown died... Victoria wrote a biography on him. So first of all, he dies and she takes the time to write an entire biography on just some dude. (laughs) Yeah, just my manservant. (laughs) Nothing suspicious about that. (laughs) And then she shows it to her private secretary. Not sure why. Maybe she wanted his opinion. But he was like, holy shit, Victoria, you can't publish this. Like, it has too many revealing (laughs) passages. And in fact, not only can't you publish it, I'm going to make you destroy it. He made her rip it up or burn it or however. He made it not exist on the planet because of whatever it said about John Brown. And here is the pièce de résistance. When Victoria did finally die in 1901 at the age of 81, she did get buried in her wedding dress to Albert, but she was also clasping a lock of John Brown's hair in her hand. Which she purposefully hid behind a bouquet of flowers so her children wouldn't see it. So spicy! It's so good! Thank you for this. This is gonna get me through. It's incredible. Kinky! I mean, just to reiterate what we've been saying throughout, before I knew too much about Queen Victoria, I just assumed I knew the basic just anyway. She's kind of one of those figures you know by osmosis without ever even looking into her because she's such a cultural titan that represents more than her own life. Uh, And in some cases, I think that's good. Like, the long tendrils of British imperialism lead back to her, but are not just Mm -hmm, her. mm -hmm. And so that kind of the public personal switch there, I think, is quite uh, warranted. But 
But then you get into her and you're like, wait, what? (laughs) What's this? Yeah. I mean, we do have that TV show, The Young Victoria, and we do have these movies like Victoria and Abdul. But where is my Tudors-esque soap opera adaptation of Victoria's banana pants personal life? Where is my The Crown, Queen Victoria season? Because this stuff is just not publicized in the way that we have personalized other queens' lives and marriages and family life. Queen Victoria just hasn't really received that same attention for her interpersonal scandals. Yeah, they always seem surprising. And you're right, even though there are adaptations about her life, the note they strike always seems a little more cleansed to me than than she comes off. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, they, they do deal with her aversion to babies and things like that. But... I think to take in Victoria, you have to take in this huge, big picture. And that can be really difficult to do if you're only focusing on one period of her life or another. Well, I certainly feel like I learned a lot about Queen Victoria today. I hope our listeners feel the same. And I also think that this was a good way to end our series Mm -hmm. on queens in history. Because as I said at the top, Queen Victoria is kind of the emblematic queen. And she helpfully distills this idea we have of figureheads Mm -hmm. versus the reality of their daily lives and their personal lives. This feminist tendency to want to reclaim powerful women in history, but also the fact that by virtue of their privileged position in society, queens often have access to immense wealth and power and often are instrumental in oppressing other people. Some really rally for their people and try to save them from oppression, like Queen Nzinga. But then there are lots of other queens who cost a lot of misery. So there is this tension, I feel, with this feminist revision of queens in mm-hmm. history. And I, I think that we, I mean, I love mess, right? So <laughs> yes. I am totally down to dive into that mess and try and sort through it. And I think Victoria is is a really, like you said, a really good example of someone who has both and who is inextricable from both a potentially feminist reading of her, but also one that should criticize her for her active role in systems of oppression, for sure. Thanks for listening to Yesterday's News, a podcast brought to you by Factinate.com. If you want to learn more about Victoria, check out our article on her. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good one. The link is in the show notes. Please leave us a review on the iTunes Store, Apple Podcasts, wherever, and tell your friends about the project. We will be back next week, but not with another iconic queen to tell you about. We are launching a new miniseries on a different topic. Stay tuned. Let the suspense rise. But until then, don't let the bland textbooks fool you. Because as I think we've shown, history History was was a a damn damn soap opera. opera. (laughs) (laughs) 